Welcome to Healthy Aging with South Coast Health, the podcast that shows you how to live a longer and healthier life, showcasing doctors, clinicians, and patient stories. The goal of South Coast Health is to help and inspire you to navigate your health journey with knowledge, comfort, and ease. Welcome to Healthy Aging with South Coast Health. I'm Patricia Raskin, your host. Today we're talking about cardiothoracic surgery. My guest is Dr. Arachlis Gerogiannis. Dr. Gerogiannis received his medical degree from the National University of Athens in Greece. He completed his residency in general surgery at the Graduate Hospital University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine in Philadelphia and his residency in cardiothoracic surgery at Yale New Haven Hospital, Yale University School of Medicine in New Haven, Connecticut. He was an assistant professor of surgery at Tufts University School of Medicine in Boston and an adjunct assistant professor of surgery at the University of Massachusetts Medical School in Worcester, Mass. Dr. Gerogiannis is board certified in surgery and thoracic surgery. He's a fellow of the American College of Surgeons and specializes in complex and minimally invasive cardiothoracic surgery. We also have on with us one of Dr. Gerogiannis's patients, Terry. So welcome, Dr. G, as we call you, and welcome, Terry. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. Dr. G, what are some of the reasons that someone might need cardiac surgery? Well, in order to answer this question, you have to think of the heart. The heart is a muscle, and in order to work well, in order to survive, it needs blood. And the blood comes to this heart muscle through vessels, we call these the coronary arteries. And when these coronary arteries develop blockages, then the blood supply to the heart is uh, compromised. And that's one reason why somebody would need surgery for the heart to restore the blood flow to the heart, to restore the blood flow to the heart muscle, which would allow this heart muscle, one, to survive, and two, to work properly. At the same time, the heart is also a pump. And like all pumps, it has valves. And in order to direct the blood flow in the appropriate way, when these valves don't work well, then these uh, valves need to either be repaired or replaced. And that is another reason why somebody may need heart surgery. How do you determine you know, when you are evaluating someone Is it one valve that has a problem? Is it more than one valve? How do you determine whether to do the surgery or not? Well, this is where the concept of the heart team comes into play. Very rarely I make this determination by myself. My colleagues, the cardiologists, evaluate the patient, have a series of tests available Mm -hmm. from EKGs, X-rays, ultrasounds, CAT scans, MRIs, cardiac catheterizations that are able to help us make the diagnosis. And then once we have all uh, these data available, we sit down, discuss the patient, and that's when we decide whether heart surgery is necessary or Mm. not. How risky is cardiac surgery? Well, by the term cardiac surgery, we include many procedures. The most common procedure is coronary artery bypass grafting, 
And overall, that procedure has a risk of around 1% to 2% of mortality, meaning chance risk of dying during the procedure or the immediate period after the procedure. There are other procedures that are a little bit less risky, and there are others that are riskier. But overall, I would say 1% to 2%. Okay. But then let's look at the other side of that, which is what are the long-term benefits of having cardiac surgery? Well, cardiac surgery works. Again, I'm biased because I am a cardiac surgeon. I love it and I believe in it. But we have very good evidence, again, if we take the example of coronary artery bypass grafting, of patients who have this operation in their 60s or early 70s. -hmm. Once they have this operation, we know that they're going to live as long and as well as patients who never had cardiac disease. Uh, There are very few major operations that can give you this kind of, of warranty. All right, and let's move to Terry. Terry, you're a patient and you had this procedure, so please talk about it. Oh, goodness, where do I begin? I had gone to a concert here in New Bedford, and I was walking up a hill, and I could not breathe. I could not catch my breath. So, of course, uh, I made an appointment to see my cardiologist. I had a EKG and all, all of that, and then I had a catheterization done, and that's when he saw that uh, I had a couple of blockages. And that's how I became Dr. G's favorite patient. <laughs> and that was the beginning of a new journey for me because I was always active, walking, working. I was about 69 at the time. And it's, it's been good for me every day, you know. I have aches and pains like everybody else, but after that, my cardiologist sent me to Fall River as soon as possible, he said. I wanted her to see a cardiac thoracic surgeon as soon as possible. And that's when I was introduced to Dr. J. I'm not going to attempt his name either. (laughs) Terry, tell us how he walked you through the procedure when you first met him. Oh, goodness. Well, it was um, my cardiologist had sent all the information to him. And with my family being present, he showed them on the wall as to what was happening with my heart. And he explained it thoroughly about what he can do for it. And he said, you go home and you think about it. And there was no way I was going home to think about it because it had to be done. And that's when I felt very comfortable with him. He treated me like I was the only person with that sort of heart disease and it made a big difference because I had already mm-hmm. made my decision that I was going to go through it. Yes. You know? Yeah. 
Dr. G, I have a question. What happens when you work with a patient whose family comes in and there's disagreement among the family members, meaning you really feel this person needs a surgery? They do, but there's there are problems with the family members because they're so concerned about the risk. How do you handle that? Thankfully, this is not something common. Good. But what is common is that the patients are scared. This is the rule. When uh, we are faced in this, this scenario that you described, uh, there is only one way to go about it. You have to spend time and try to explain everything, start from the beginning, sometimes do it again and again, and um, try to address the, uh, the areas of concern. Never forget, they are all scared. It is of paramount importance to develop a level of trust, of understanding, uh, the realization that we are all the same team. And uh, sometimes, most of the time, we have time to ponder. And I tell the patients that, look, you can go home, you can think about it, you can talk about mm. this by yourselves. Sometimes I tell them, Ask for a second opinion. Mm-hmm. Go to Boston. Mm-hmm. Uh, living in a Fall River has a great advantage. We live in a reasonable distance mm-hmm. in some of the greatest hospitals in the world. Most patients who go and ask an opinion, they hear exactly the same things I told them, and most of them come and have the surgery with us. And at this point, I would like to make a point. Terry is extremely gracious and talks about me. But it is not about one person, and definitely not just about me. Uh, here, uh, in order to perform safely cardiac surgery, you need a team that starts from the office and goes into the hospital, in the operating room, in the units, on the floors. And that's what I think I'm extremely proud of. She can attest to that. I'm extremely privileged working with this amazing team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's wonderful. And uh, when the family members and the patients interact with all this great team, the level of confidence and the level of comfort increases. Yeah. yeah. Because they feel that the night nurse is going to right. take good care of them. It is not just me while they are in the operating room or in the office. And this is huge. Dr. G, does your risk of cardiac issues increase as you age, or is it about lifestyle, no matter what your age? Lifestyle. I operated last week a 90-year-old lady. She looks great. She looked great Mm -hmm. before. She had a very big operation. And when I visited her at the rehab floor, I'm not sure exactly what the word of this is. She had the box with the powder and she was um, getting pretty. She looked great. And that was probably six, seven days after an open heart operation. But she had taken good care of herself for the previous 90 years. On the other hand, I operate on patients who are young in their 20s, usually Mm -hmm. because of uh, the opioid epidemic, and they look old. And the risk is extremely yeah. high. And yeah. also, yeah. Uh, it is very important to pass the message that the operation can do as much 
if after the operation we don't change the bad habits, uh, the result is not going to be great. And that said, because it is a big operation, heart surgery uh, provides the so-called teachable moment. Uh, people who are smokers and end up needing a stent, for example, uh, most likely they would continue to smoke. But smokers who have open-heart surgery, I most of the time stop smoking after this. Uh, actually, I use the teachable moment even when I go and talk to the families, because at the moment that the family is waiting for me to hear how the patient did, they are very, very, uh, you know, worried. So I go in there, I tell them everything went well, and I ask them, is there anybody here smoking? And if somebody says yes, I tell them, today is a good day to stop smoking, because that's it. Lifestyle modification is of paramount importance mm -hmm. in the in the treatment, prevention and treatment of cardiac disease. Right. So before and afterwards, too, correct? I mean, before you have surgery, there are things that you're going to do and afterwards as well. And what are they? Are they, besides stopping smoking, are there certain foods that you eat, types of exercise that you do? Well, I'm Greek. But apart from that, there's no question that following the so-called Mediterranean diet is the best thing you can do. So having a healthy weight, making mm -hmm. sure that you, you focus on fruits, vegetables, that's, that's very, very important. But being active, ideally we say 30 minutes, five days a week, but most of the things are common sense. Uh, just walking instead, uh, instead of taking the car all the time, taking the steps and taking the elevator can make a huge difference. Then... Some of us, despite what we do, are going to end up having high blood pressure or having high cholesterol or having even diabetes. That's where modern medicine comes in. Modern medicine can help you uh, control your blood pressure, your diabetes. But you have to ask for help. If you don't yes. check, you will never know yeah. what your blood pressure is. Yes. So developing a, a relationship with your primary care physician and following your checkups, etc. Uh, it's very, very important. And then being compliant with the recommendations. Uh, there are studies by the American Heart Association that high blood pressure, which is something that is treatable. We have enough medications to treat it any time. People don't take the medications. And these are risk factors for, for development of heart disease. Terry, what are some of the things that you did after surgery um, in terms of you know, getting back to the way that you were or getting back on your feet? But what were some of the things that you did? Well, I had rehab at home, and I had visitor nurses coming in. Uh, my house is pretty big, so I used to walk a few times around the perimeter here. Of course, diet has a lot to do with it. I like fish and all of those vegetables. Did you have to make any changes? Changes. As far as what? My eating habits or? Eating habits, movement, exercise. Yeah. Well, I used to go to, I go to the gym prior to uh, having surgery. I did a lot of walking and I ate fairly decent, you know, 
I don't eat red meat, which I think has a lot to do with having a good healthy diet. And pretty much I just did what the doctors say for me to do and I I did it, you know? Yeah. Dr. G, how important is attitude in all of this? I mean, even if you're doing all the right things and you're eating well and you're exercising, but if you're nervous all the time and you're scared all the time and you're worried all the time, does that have an effect? Well, we know that stress can increase the risk of, for the development of cardiac disease. Unfortunately, these things are very difficult to measure. So I can give you what the prevailing opinion is uh, or what my gut feeling is. And uh, I, definitely it does play a role in the development of the disease. But also the outcome is, is affected. People who have a positive attitude, people who are optimistic, they, they definitely do much better. And it probably it has to do with the fact they are more motivated uh, into get out of bed the very first morning after the operation and cooperating with uh, the physical therapists. And uh, I, I tell the patients, I don't care how much you walk the next day. As long as the day after that, you walk a little bit more and the next day a little bit more. And within a week, mm-hmm. you forget mm. that this is now an exercise. It becomes a pleasure. Mm-hmm. And you stop counting yeah. how many feet right. or how many blocks you walked. Absolutely. Yeah, really good. So important. I want to ask you about a little more about the surgery. One of the things you do is coronary artery bypass grafting. Explain what that is and when you, when you perform this. So we perform that when we have blockages in the coronary arteries, the arteries that feed with blood the heart muscle. This is a very common operation. Between 350,000 and half a million bypass operations are performed in the United States every year. Um, It is a big operation. And with that, we take one or two arteries from inside the chest Mm -hmm. and a long piece of vein from the leg and we suture it on the heart, on the coronary artery, and on the aorta, and we reroute basically the blood towards the heart muscle, bypassing the blockages. It is not a new operation. It has been around for 50 years. Of course, Mm -hmm. it has been modified and perfected, but that's its beauty, that we know a lot about coronary artery bypass grafting. We know when it works and when it doesn't, We know the complications, the risks, and the good results. And procedures that have been tested for such a long period of time and they have survived the test of time usually are excellent operations. These are not something that we are trying today and through three years from today we we won't have good results. So how long would a coronary artery bypass graft last? Well... The bypasses that we construct with arteries last uh, in 90, 95% of the time, more than 25 years. The arteries that we construct with veins last for shorter period of times. But overall, less than 5% of patients who have bypass surgery would actually need something more done uh, in their lifetime. A question for you and also for Terry. Do you have patients, you know, like Terry, who were walking up a hill and all of a sudden realized something was wrong? What are the warning signs? Or Because we hear about the silent heart attacks all the time. 
all of a sudden somebody exercised and they were in good shape and, you know, their heart had a problem. So the question is, is there anything we can do or is there often, is this often a surprise? Well, the symptoms of uh, heart disease can be very clear cut or can be very subtle. And actually, there is a huge difference between the symptoms that men tend to have and the symptoms that women tend to have. Men tend to have the so-called classic symptoms, this very discreet heaviness or pain in the middle of the chest. This is what we see at the movies. We call these the Hollywood symptoms of a heart attack. But these are present in less than 50% of the cases for women, where they Uh, You can have some pain, you can have some jaw pain or left arm pain, but sometimes you may not have any pain. You may feel tired, you may feel short of breath. And in medicine, it took us many, many years to realize that, that women and heart disease are different than men and heart disease. So to answer your question, you have to have a very high index of suspicion when it comes to heart disease, and even with minor symptoms, uh, you should look into this. You should not just say, oh, that's anxiety or menopause or something like that. We used to have this problem about 20, 25 years ago when I was, you know, younger in training. When the 50-year-old man would show up in the emergency room with these classic symptoms, we would rush him and treat him for a heart attack. And when the 55-year-old woman would come in with some shortness of breath and sweating and uh, symptoms like that, having a heart attack, we would ask her to wait in the triage in the emergency room. And of course, the results for men and women were very different. And that's how we started realizing that we were making a mistake there. Mm -hmm. And uh, people have to understand that more women die of heart disease than men although most people think that a heart attack is a male disease. Why do you think that is? Why, why are more women at risk? Probably because the, the symptoms are so different. They are not typical. And mm-hmm. uh, probably because women are focused in other diseases. In every single age group, from the 20-year-old to the 80-year-old, more women die from heart disease than breast cancer. But most women would be religious about their mammograms. I'm not saying not having mammograms. Have your mammograms. But many women don't think of heart disease as the major risk factor. Oh, I do. (laughs) (laughs) For most of his life, Dan from Situate, Massachusetts, has struggled with obesity. Eight or ten years old, I started getting, you know, chubby. By the time I graduated high school, I think I was between 275 and 300. Went on a roller coaster and I'm ready to go and they, the guy comes walking up to me. My thighs were so big, he couldn't get the, the latch to, to latch and I had to get off the ride. Okay, like enough is enough. So Dan contacted the South Coast Health Weight Loss Center. The program as a whole is what was the, the key to me picking them over Boston. And I was a 46 going into 48, and now I'm a 30-inch waist. South Coast Health Weight Loss Center has helped transform more than 6,500 lives. To learn more about how they can help you, too, call 844-744-5544. 
or go to southcoast.org. I'm living proof to show if you put the work in on anything that you can get what you want. South Coast Health gave me the tools, and here I am, you know, with my health forever. Take impossible, throw it out of your vocabulary. South Coast Health, more than medicine. Uh, Terry, were you surprised when this happened to you? Was this like a, a shock? Well, for them to tell me that I ha- had actually heart disease because I, like Dr. G said, I was thinking it was menopause, mm-hmm. you know, having hot flashes and, you know, the chest pain and whatever. And that is part of menopause. But I had gone and had it checked out and, you know, had a EKG and there was some kind of flare up there. It wasn't a heart attack. It was just a warning sign to me. Anyhow. So, Dr. G, having said what you said, should women be checking out that they might have a baseline heart problem? When they go for the mammogram to see if they have a problem with their breast, should they be doing this as a preventative measure with their heart? Well, I can assure you that primary care physicians routinely check for the risk factors. They check the blood pressure. They may check the cholesterol. They may check the family history. They would ask you, do you have anybody in the family who had heart disease at an early age? And depending on this history and depending on these basic uh, laboratory tests, for the patients who may be at higher risk, then they can escalate and order more tests and more evaluation as necessary. So this is something that the primary care physicians would do. And of course, if they are worried, then they can refer the patient to a cardiologist and the cardiologist can order other appropriate testing Mm -hmm. uh, to help. Unfortunately, we don't have the equivalent of a mammogram for cardiac disease because it's so multifactorial. And sometimes the definitive test, the, the cardiac catheterization that Terry got, is an invasive technique. We are working with other x-rays. There is a new CAT scan that can give us information. But there are concerns there. There Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of radiation in order to do. So I wouldn't recommend that on everybody. There are guidelines. The primary care physicians are aware of them. What the patients need to have in mind is that they should have a primary care physician and have somebody checking on these. And if necessary, more tests can be ordered. Okay. Dr. G, what do you see for the future? I mean, you talked a little bit about that, that there's new tests, new CAT scans. What do you see down the road in technology or just in, in new discoveries in the whole area of cardiac care and cardiac surgery? Well, for cardiac surgery, what the effort is, uh, is to make the operations less invasive so that the recovery is shorter. Obviously, we have always been trying to make these operations safer. On the, the front of prevention, I think hopefully disseminating the, the information about the risk factors, trying to persuade people to live a healthy lifestyles can significantly have an impact. Uh, There are new tests and new medications coming out every year. So there is hope. But let's face it, 
coronary artery disease, heart disease, is a disease of the older age. And the population is getting older. And I think this is a good thing. And the expectation is to live longer and to live with better quality of life. Because that's also very important. The key is not to have a heart that is going to keep on beating until 100 or 110. It has to beat strong enough to support a very pleasant mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where the yes. emphasis is. Yeah. And that's healthy aging is what you're talking about. All right, before we close, Terry, any closing thoughts for people who are considering cardiac surgery or need to have cardiac surgery, what would you say to them? Well, I know that you don't have to go to Boston anymore. That's my biggest mantra there. You can go South Coast Hospital Group and Chelton is an exceptional hospital who gave exceptional care to myself and to others that I know. And I speak from the heart that you always have to be an advocate for yourself in order to stay healthy and live the life that you should live. Thank you so much. Closing thoughts, Dr. G, what would you like to leave our listeners with today? Don't be scared. Heart disease is serious, but thank God there is treatment for that. And if for some reason somebody needs heart surgery, this is something that we can take care of it. And overwhelming chances are that that patient is going to to live a long and good life afterwards. Thank you both so much, Dr. Araklis, Gerogiannis, and Terry, a patient at South Coast Health. Thank you both. It was inspiring and enlightening with lots of heart and yes. love and care <laughs> sprinkled into the interview. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Terry, I want you to know that um, your comments are those that keep us going. Oh, well. Dr. T, you kept me going. Uh, thank you so much. And I thank have you. to say what I feel. And South Coast did a wonderful job. And you, and you were at the team. head of it. Thank you. <laughs> thank you both for being on the program today, Healthy Aging with South Coast Health. That's our edition for this week. I'm Patricia Raskin. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Healthy Aging with South Coast Health. To subscribe to this podcast, visit www.southcoast.org forward slash healthy dash aging. While you are there, we want to hear from you. Please take the time to complete a quick survey so we can learn more about the topics for upcoming episodes that you are most interested in to live a healthy lifestyle. Thank you to our hosts, Patricia Raskin and South Coast Health. This podcast is brought to you by creative content developer Raskin Resources Productions and produced by Virtually You.